the shit you love. The podcast of the series of the graphic novel of the album. Where I get to crap on about anything I like. Hello and welcome. My name is Damien. This is Only the Shit You Love, the podcast, and this is Bullshit. This is Bullshit? This is Bullshit? This is Bullshit? This is Bullshit. As you can see, it's one of my favourite phrases. Not in the sense of, the government is lying to us about this coronavirus bullshit. It's definitely not that. Not the, I'm protesting because this is bullshit, sort of self-righteous fighting against oppression kind of this is bullshit. No, my favourite this is bullshit is the one applied to oneself. The sudden realisation that one might be being a wanker. It's a gentler kind of this is bullshit. And if I allow it to apply to external factors, it'd be the spotting of artifice, sleight of hand, willful exaggeration, lipstick on a corpse. When language is used to make someone or something sound more important than they are which is pretty much every five minutes in your office, in my office. Usually done unconsciously, because phrases like reach out instead of contact have become an accepted, parroted part of the vernacular. I don't blame people for using them. God knows I probably do myself. It's the cunt who first did it that I have an issue with. These days, my bullshit detector pings so often it's become background noise. Today, tomorrow... Tinnitus. Everyone, from the highest office holders in the land to the guy in the one-man kebab cubicle doling out greasy shawamas designed to stop a buffalo's heart in 12 seconds, are reaching out and engaging and caring about our feedback. Meanwhile, everyone's walking around speaking almost exclusively in meme phrases Your phone is full of Dr Moreau's freaks with lips that seem to be growing before your eyes and the TV is packed to overflowing with cooking shows that treat a roast chook as if it's a work by Picasso. This is modern life and this is bullshit. By the way, who the fuck is Dr Moreau? It's a book by H.G. Wells. The Island of Dr Moreau, in which he creates freakish hybrid human beasts who go around quoting, Not to go on all fours, that is the law, are we not men? Not to suck up drink, that is the law, are we not men? Just in case you thought Devo made up that phrase. By the way, speaking of bands from Ohio, that's Cleveland's finest post-apocalyptic industrial rock band Perubu from their debut single Heart of Darkness, which brings me to... Only the Bits I Love! Here's Perubu from their debut album, track one, Non-Alignment Pact. When I first heard Perubu, I thought they sounded like a standard garage sort of rock band, except for two weird things. 
Their singer sounded on the edge of a ledge about to jump, punctuating his thin reedy singing with yelps and whinnies, and the keyboardist, for want of a better term, seemed to be playing with one finger, just turning on this white noise that seeped into the track like some giant sewing machine in the flat next door to you keeping you awake at night. In my post-punk musical snob triple R phase, I found it intoxicating, a keyboardist playing white noise and a singer who whinnied and yelped. Hmm, anyone else would probably be thinking, this is bullshit. This is bullshit, a phrase I've commonly applied facing inwards, the this is bullshit moment when you realise you've joined the great pantheon of bullshitters, the instance where you check yourself and think, hang on, am I boring people? I'm thinking it right about now. And I can assure you during the course of these podcasts, a voice in my head keeps repeating that phrase. But I push on, dear listener, because I figure you and I both know this is bullshit, but you don't mind listening to it. Of course, you might not be listening to it, in which case I'm just bullshitting onto myself. A tree falling unheard in the forest. Quite like that possibility. I think it's healthy to think that thought, but only up to a point. Those of you who, like me, have a heightened sense of not only external bullshit, but their own bullshit, will undoubtedly know the painful truth. Your self-bullshit detector is very hard to keep in check. It's prone to run amok and fuck with your life on a daily basis. I'm talking about self-doubt. The imposter syndrome. I'm a bullshit artist and pretty soon all these people are going to discover it. That's what the song... This is bullshit is really about. Our bullshit detector gone too far. It's a sad and tragic affliction that we have to find little ways to incrementally keep in check. Unfortunately, most people who offer advice about this don't fully understand it and just try to bash it back into an ill-fitting hole labelled It's Your Problem. What you need to do, if you believe the TED Talks and your decisive, unshakably opinionated, simple solution to complex problem offering manager at work, is to fake it till you make it. What they're really saying to you, although they don't think they're saying it, is, look at me, I faked it till I made it, so if you can't, you're a bit shit. It's like extroverted people who fill out a Myers-Briggs psychological test inaccurately because they have a self-awareness gap and end up thinking they're introverts. And they tell you, I'm an introvert too, but I just put on an act. So what you take home from that conversation is, one, extroverts get ahead, and two, if you can't put on an act, you're a bit shit. Decisive, opinionated people can't begin to comprehend what it feels like to have a running dialogue of self-doubt in your head, potentially paralysing you, making every decision difficult and every action followed by an endless list of possible bad consequences. I support and love decisive, opinionated people. You impress me and you make the world tick. I just wish you would occasionally say, you know what? I don't know what I'm talking about here. I'm going to shut the fuck up. Of course, you might think it's a bit rich coming from someone here doing a podcast about themselves who sings songs and performs in public and seems confident all the time. And 
you're right. Introversion, extroversion, it's not either or. It's a scale. And I'm only partially introverted. My introversion, which affects how I operate in normal life, is occasionally, and remember, I only do this part-time, not just because I can't afford to do it full-time, but because I don't have the personality to do it full-time. My introversion is occasionally blown out of the water by my other impulse, a desire to be loved by large numbers of people. That need for public gratification is a bit of an affliction, but it helps me with my introversion. And I've had a bit of luck, a lot of luck. Things have bounced my way over the years. I've been in a successful band. I could just as easily not have been, and all those years of self-affirmation would have been lost to me. Those of us who are lucky find a way, somehow or other, to become used to ourselves, our limitations and failings, and quieten the voice in our heads that says this is bullshit, which is one of the nice things about getting older. Hard not to wish, however, that you had a little more of that self-awareness way back when you really needed it, like, say, puberty. We're going to start this happy vibes right from the root. I don't know about you, but for me, puberty wasn't too flash. I seem to have this no-doubt retrospectively Vaseline-lensed memory of my primary school years at St Joey's in Springvale being a happy, breezy, confident time when I was good at school and good at sport and didn't care about impressing girls and even had blonder hair. And then came puberty. If self-doubt is one of puberty's defining characteristics, well, I certainly gave myself plenty of supporting evidence. I was footy and soccer mad as a kid, and as soon as I was old enough to join competitive teams, I was right in there. In my later teams, I'd end up being pretty successful at soccer, captaining a team in the state's top underage comp. But my earliest competitive sport memories are a hypnotic mantra of shithouseness. At Springy Footy Club, I was not so much an also-ran as a never-ran. Every Friday morning, I'd walk past the window of the sports store in Springy Road where the little pieces of paper with Springy's footy teams would be sticky taped to the window and there would be my name on the team sheet as emergency. For those of you unfamiliar with the concept, a team would include two reserves, the players not good enough to make the first 18, but who'd get a run during the match. And then below them was the emergency not even good enough to be a reserve. The term emergency speaks for itself. Son, you're so shithouse that the only way you're going to get on the field is if we have a fucking emergency. Emergency. Despite the hopelessness of this position, I dutifully turned up every week and put on my footy gear and stood shivering next to the coach on the boundary line. Because you brought up not to be a quitter. One day, the team had two injuries, so our reserves went on. Then a third kid got injured. What did the coach do? Put one of the injured kids back on. I was standing beside him the whole time, in my spotlessly clean red, white and navy blue springy jumper. About 20 minutes after the match, he finally noticed I was there and profusely apologised. The following week, I was back on that sticky tape team sheet as emergency. So I was better at soccer than footy, right? Wrong. I then joined Springvale Soccer Club under 11s and the same thing happened. If I ever got a game, 
It was in defence completely out of my natural position. Defence, where obviously you put the shit kids because nobody wants to play in defence. But I was a specialist shit defender. The coach, a wizened Scot called Charlie Adams, lozenge constantly rattling about in his sinewy, chicken-foot-like throat to stop him losing his voice from berating the kids, seemed to spend 90% of his berating time focusing on my failings. Boo it! He would yell at me as I dithered on the ball like Johan Cruyff in quicksand. The only thing I figured I was good at was standing by the goalpost as last line of defence during opposition corner kicks in case a shot or header beat our goalie. This happened once. My moment of glory arrived. Cal clears it off the line and saves the day. Except the ball hit my knee and deflected in for an own goal. Why didn't you boot it? screamed the apoplectic Charlie Adams. I was even shit at cricket. Last in to bat, never got to bowl, fielded in the outfield where the ball rarely ever came. My favourite memory was one such rare occasion. After hours of inactivity, a skied ball heading my way and the team as one yelling out, Catch it! which is surely right up there with MasterChef judges yelling five minutes to go at their poor bullied contestants in the great roll call of crashingly obvious and quite frankly counterproductive advice. Catch it, they yelled. Except, as the ball approached me, its trajectory was right in line with the sun. Like some kind of epiphanic episode of the Bible, I looked up and saw only blinding light. I threw an arm up to shield my eyes. Too late. Everyone watched as I flapped about in a St Vitus dance, waving my arms about my head, oblivious to the ball, plopping gently onto the grass next to me. The opposition and my own teammates burst into laughter. Slide, Charlie Brown, slide! Discovering that, even though you know everything about sport and you think you're really good at sport, you're actually shit at sport is not a good way to kick off puberty. Reeling from that uppercut to my glass jaw, I never saw the brutal left hook heading my way. Girls. That's Roy Wood and Wizard doing See My Baby Jive, Roy Wood was in a great 60s band called The Move, along with Jeff Lynne, and when that band folded, they started the Electric Light Orchestra, which Roy, in my opinion the far more talented and interesting character, subsequently quit after one album, leaving us with Jeff Lynne and his penchant for annoying Sergeant Pepper-esque ditties. Wizard, meanwhile, never quite made it as a major chart band, But in my opinion today, See My Baby Jive is one of the great pop singles of the 70s, a veritable opera in three minutes. But for all the 70s, and a healthy whack of years hence, I hated that song. Because they played it every week at the Springvale Youth Club Learn to Dance. The Springvale Youth Club Learn to Dance was actually ballroom dancing, even though we never called it that in those days. It seems a very weird thing for 70s teenagers in long hair and platform shoes, the younger siblings of the 60s flower power generation to be doing. 
putting on a collar and tie and doing quaintly anachronistic dance routines like the evening three-step, the Madison and the cha-cha. But it was incongruously popular in Springy for a few years back then and it was purportedly the best way to meet girls. This I was reliably informed by my two supremely confident friends, Peter and Sean, who had started going months earlier and had already nabbed themselves actual girlfriends. Along with my friend Greg, they were always leagues ahead of me in the girls' department and never wasted an opportunity to point this out. My parents were stricter than theirs and it took a lengthy campaign of nagging to be allowed to go to the dance. Or maybe I secretly didn't want to go. I suspect some of the latter, but either way, when I got there... My friends were hardly going to hang around me, mentoring me through my induction phase. They knew everybody there, seemed to be Mr. Fucking Popular with all the girls, and had their own girlfriends to tonsil hockey during the breaks. So I was on my own, with a bunch of kids from the local high schools, mostly older than me. No familiar faces, no mates, no idea what to do, and completely terrified. Into this heady mix of confidence deconstruction stepped our femme fatale, Anna Block. Anna Block was your standard 70s springy popular girl. Ziggy stardust haircut, garish light blue eyeshadow, satin sharpie skirt and platforms. Probably quite pretty, but I will never know how pretty because when Anna Block arrived on my block, she was on the attack. It was called a progressive dance, odd name for a dance routine invented in the 20s, but in this case, progressive meant the boys stood in a huge ring around the perimeter of the hall and the girls progressed from boy to boy as the song continued. You would take their hand and together do your little routine and then the girl would pass on to the next bloke in line. Not sure what that says about gender stereotypes. Feel free to have your own opinion. I'd survived a few progressive dances, with probably a look on my face combining badly faked confidence and abject concentration, when Anna Block turned up, took my hand, and immediately screwed up her face in utter revulsion. Ew, you've got cold hands, she said. And with that, she jerked her hand out of mine, stopped statue-like, folded her arms, and stared at me, until it was time to move to the next boy, where she resumed dancing. I didn't know what to do, so I kept doing the moves, but felt like a complete and very public idiot. And sadly, the nature of the progressive dance meant that, sooner or later, Anna Block would be heading my way again. My hands couldn't have been cold anymore, given the fact that my entire body burned with embarrassment, but Anna had clearly decided on her position regarding me. So that was that. Every time Anna got to me, even in fact as she danced with the guy before me, she was screwing up that little face and calling out, Then the arms would fold and she would stare in apparent loathing at me for the duration of our lovely little ships-in-the-night moment. It wasn't Anna's dislike, though that was deeply unsettling, that bothered me most. When you're a fumbling, insecure and prohibitively shy adolescent boy, the last thing you want is people noticing you, especially not girls. 
And every time Anna did her very public boycott of my advances, I imagined, wrongly of course, that the entire hall was staring at me. Anna kept up this performance several times a night for several weeks. One night she even got her mates to arm themselves with drawing pins and jab me with them as they walked past. Then mercifully, she presumably decided the Springvale Youth Club Learn to Dance was no longer cool. It didn't stop her from yelling out, spew!" and screwing up that face any time she passed me in the streets of Springy. If only I could have gone back in time and coached myself, I might have handled the situation better. Don't worry, 14-year-old me, 40 years later you'll have great fun boring people with this story in a podcast where you talk all about yourself for 18 weeks. Hmm. Then again, the 14-year-old me probably would have replied, what's a fucking podcast? To this day, I still can't figure out what made Anna Block wage her campaign of enmity. Cold hands seems like a crime ill-fitting the punishment. What really made you do it, Anna? Was I simply the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time? Who did something bad to you? Did you want to pay it forward? I guess I looked like the boy who wouldn't fight back. I bet insecurity shrouded me like a halo. Well, it did the trick. Here I am, talking about it 40 years later. And even after Anna stopped turning up at the dance, she got me. There was this girl called Rosemary. Nice girl, pretty smile, warm hands. Well, I had to chuck that one in. Ended up with me at the end of a progressive dance when the boss man announced the next song was Choose Your Partner. Oh, shit. The moment of reckoning. So I held my breath and asked Rosemary. She said yes. In disbelief, I led her through whatever dance it was, though I'm not sure I managed to make any conversation. Next week, when Choose Your Partner happened, I made a beeline to Rosemary And she said yes. I just want to take a moment to thank you, Rosemary, if you're still out there. There are illnesses in this world, and there are those who selflessly nurse you through illness. Well, that's a bit dramatic. Anyway, this went on for several weeks. My conversation with Rosemary was confined to the Choose Your Partner dance, during which time I felt like I wasn't bullshit. Then, at the end of one night... A group of girls with knowing grins came up to me. Do you like Rosemary? They taunted. Well, it seemed to me like a taunt. Look out, said the voice in my head. It was all a joke and they're going to start the Anna Block treatment all over again. So I said, do I like Rosemary? Nah. And beat a hasty retreat. Three weeks later, my friend Greg turned up and Rosemary started dating him. He treated her like shit, of course, and told us all about it. No need to get out the violins, though. I managed okay, despite Anna Block. I even stuck it out for two whole years at the Springvale Youth Club Learn to Dance, where they played See My Baby Jive every week. Clearly, Anna Block is still winning because I'm talking about her now, but I'm making slight progress. After all, I've learned to love See My Baby Jive. See you next time.
been listening to Only the Shit You Love, the podcast. If you want to see the series or buy the music, go to campsite.bio forward slash Damien Cow DC. See you next time.